0: All right, if you'll turn with me in your copy of God's Word to 1 John chapter 4, Uh, we'll be in verses 7 through 21 of chapter 4. Turn your attention to the reading of God's Word. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Grass withers, flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. And as we come before it, let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and in our minds um, to receive this word. Father, we do pray that you would strengthen us by your spirit, that you would open eyes, that you would soften hearts, that you would fill me with... um, strength and guidance and direction from the Spirit and by the Spirit to proclaim your word with truth and with clarity. Lord, as we come before it, it is a privilege to read your word. We have been so blessed, and so we pray that you would draw our attention to what you would have for us today. We pray in Christ's name, amen. So strong affection for another that arises from kinship or personal ties, attraction based on desires, the affection and tenderness felt by lovers, affection based on admiration or common interests, maybe warm attachments to hold dearly, a score of zero in tennis, or unselfish, loyal, and benevolent concern for the good of another. You know, that's not even all the definitions given by Merriam Webster in regard to the word love. So when you consider that, it should come as no surprise that there is often a, a bit of confusion as to what someone means when they use the word love. It takes context and time to discern adequately what someone is talking about, what what, what definition they're utilizing. So in the same way, we actually need to take time and understand the context when this word is used throughout our text in 1 John 4. Remember, this is flowing out of what John wrote in chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, where he said, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. See, from that point, from, from those verses, John expounded upon the aspect of belief, believing in the name of Jesus. And we looked at that last week with 4 1 through 6. And now he moves in to um, kind of ex- examining a bit more the aspect of loving one another. And as much time as John devotes to this, it's fairly easy to deduce that this is, this is pretty important. This is something that we should be listening to because there is real power in love, specifically in the love that John writes about. And as we get into, into this, what I, what I hope that we will see clearly, one, one overarching thing is that both the source and the definition of love comes from God himself. The source and the definition of love comes from God. We cannot define love any way we desire. God has defined it, and He's displayed it most perfectly and supremely in the sending of His Son. So, as we finish out this chapter, we're going to look at three aspects related to love this morning. Three aspects. First, love is from God. Love is from God. Second, love is from abiding in God. So, love is from God. Love is from abiding in God. And third, That love is confidence, or love maybe uh, brings confidence, or confidence flows out of love. And my desire for this is that from it, we would walk away in awe. In awe of who God is and His love for us, and let that drive us, let that transform us, let that change us, let our abiding in Christ drive us into a place of, of, of confidence in our relationship with Him. So let's look at verse 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and, every, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now from the first word of this section, how John again chooses to address the readers... He's reminding them of what is true. He's saying that they are dearly loved. They are the beloved of God, and these beloved are to be loving one another. He's basically, in essence, saying this. He's like, you who are loved, love one another. You who are loved, you who have received the love of God, you therefore love one another. This is a command and as John has already asserted, it's not a new command. We've, we've seen it from Jesus himself, John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus says, it's a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. But John gives a further reason. He says, for love is from God. For love is from God. This is part of why we are to love, but what exactly does he mean, for love is from God? He doesn't answer that yet, actually, so you're going to have to hang on. Instead, he gives us a phrase that I think is often taken out of context and thoroughly misused, where he says, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Because does that mean that anyone and everyone who, quote, loves has been born of God? Let me give you the answer, no. Okay? Okay? This is why it is so vital to know what John means by love. This is not saying that anyone who has a feeling of affection or a warm attachment to someone is thereby born of God and knows God. That would be a very short-sighted and misguided take on this text. And further, John gives us the inverse of that statement. He says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And he's saying here, and I think fairly clearly, that love, whatever that means in in his definition, is part and parcel to one who claims to know God. It is part of who we are. If you claim to know God, you are to love because um, part of that reality is that Christ is in you if you claim to know God. You are united to Him by faith, and you will reflect His character and His life, which John tells us, God is Love. Folks, if love is missing, so is knowledge of God. They're inseparable. They go hand in hand. See, John has written now three times in this letter in regard to someone who does not love. And in 3.10, he said that the one who didn't love is shown to be of the devil. In 3.14, the one who doesn't love abides or remains in death. Now, the one who doesn't love, he says, you don't know God. So, not loving, it's more than some moral or ethical failing. It's more than us maybe just being angry or hateful. Not loving means that one remains in darkness, that we remain in darkness. Love for God and love for others, again, they have to go together, they are inseparable. And then there is this phrase that John uses, because God is love. Now notice what John didn't write here. He didn't write, because love is God. You ever think about it that way? He he didn't write that, because if you phrase it that way, you turn God into an abstraction, into a a, a feeling, and, and he's not the personal and active God that he truly is. Nor did he say, because God loves Loving is not simply another action that God does. All of His actions are loving. Everything that He does is loving, even discipline and punishment. Yet, even the phrase, because God is love, it's horribly misunderstood because people come to it with their own definitions of love. But one one thing that this phrase, before we move on, just very clearly, it it should inform us that God has the prerogative and the power and the authority to define what love is. Not us. The Creator can define love, not the creature. And He does that in the very next verses. Look at verses 9 and 10. In this... The love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So in this, the love of God was made manifest. It is here that it is most clearly revealed. Now, where is that? It's in sending the son into the world. And, And he's not just talking about Christmas, okay? He's not just talking about the incarnation, dear baby Jesus kind of thing. He's not talking about just that. He's talking about the whole mission of the salvation of sinners, Christ's complete and utter mission on earth, John 3, 16 to 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. God so loved the world, or you could go to Paul, what he wrote in Romans 5.8, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, his love is shown most clearly and displayed in this manner in the sending of his Son for our lives so that we could know life, John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So knowing Jesus is our life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. See, love is shown in Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. Now, don't let that just roll off your tongue, maybe, or out of your brain too easily here. Let's consider what that means. Just ponder your nature for a minute. Ponder maybe your morning driving here. We're rebels. We're undeserving sinners. Were idolaters who naturally fight against God. And yet, yet, though that's true, and we could expound upon that greatly, he loved. He loved to the depths, to the extent of sending his son into the world on our behalf because we needed a Savior. We needed a propitiation. We needed this atoning sacrifice to deal with our sins because the wages of our sin is death. We are, by nature, objects of wrath. And apart from this work of God's love, we are dead in our transgressions and sins. And we are objects of His wrath, of His just and holy and good wrath. John Stott wrote this, though said in the ancient world outside Christianity, it was thought appropriate to love only those who were regarded as worthy of being loved. But God loves sinners who are unworthy of his love and indeed subject to his wrath. He loved us and sent his son to rescue us, not because we are lovable, but because he is love. So the greatness of his love is seen in the costliness of his self-sacrifice for the holy, undeserving. A clearer manifestation of God's love could not be imagined. He didn't pick us out of the crowd and, and because, hey, we looked better and we were lovely and we were just great. No, he loved us because he loved us. God sending his only son his unique son, into the world. No greater gift could be possible. Think about it. God didn't pick some extraordinary human being to die on the cross. He himself became incarnate condescended in the person of Jesus, truly man and truly God, to be a willing sacrifice on the cross. This is the depths of his love, a love that is not contingent on what we've done or the circumstances we may find ourselves in in the day-to-day. It is a love that is constant and unchanging. It is a steadfast love. Not only that, it's eternal. His love is prior to ours, it's before ours. We didn't love him first, not even close. We were fighting against him. We were hurling epithets at God. We were doing everything we could to throw off his, what we considered, fetters and chains. He didn't love us because we loved him. We love him because of his great love shown to us in the atonement that gave life to those who are dead in their sins and trapped in the kingdom of darkness. Love is from God. Love is from God. God is love, and we must listen to his definition and make sure that we continue to define love in the proper manner in order to understand and grasp what John is telling us here. Because from here... We're going to move on and see that our love from others flows out of our abiding in God's love. So look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Here again, he reminds us of our status. He reminds the readers of their status. They are beloved. Beloved. And then he makes this logical connection. That if God loved in in this manner... Then we, as his children, as children of God, those born of God, we have an obligation. There's an ought here placed upon us. We are to love one another, and you could say, in the same manner in which he loved. How do we do that? How do we love in that same manner? The the example John gave of love was Christ dying on the cross for other people's sins. We can't do that. To answer this question, one commentator wrote, note that God's love focused its action on our greatest need. And the achievement of such love secured the reconciliation of our relationship with Him. Similarly, our love for others should recognize their needs and we should seek to maintain a right relationship with them. See, us loving in the same manner, loving one another, is not a command to feelings of affection. It's not having warm fuzzies or some type of obligatory intimacy that's just shallow beyond belief. The command to love others is a command to meet their needs. It's a command to meet the needs of others. It is to care for them. It is a command to actually be wise and observant enough, attentive enough to assess people's needs in order to meet them. To not go in thinking, I know what you need, and not listen to somebody. That's not loving them. That's imposing on them. But to be attentive enough to listen and to hear what they need. Our love is to imitate God's redemptive love in our laying down our lives in sacrificing our wants and our desires to care for and meet the needs of others. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He says no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, that, that first phrase seems out of place, doesn't it? All of a sudden he just says, "No one's ever seen God." Gee, thanks, John. Appreciate that. Why are you saying that? It's actually very similar to what we read in John's Gospel in the first chapter, John 1:18. "No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known." You see, Jesus made God the Father known in his life and by his love, by what he did for us. Now, we have not seen God physically nor has anyone else. But I think what John is saying that in our love of one another, as we love one another, we actually reveal God. We display His love for one another. No one's ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side. He has made Him known. And what John said again here, uh, if we love one another, God abides in us. God abides in us. God works in us. And His love is perfected in us. It's shown to others. We can only do that, as he says, though, by abiding in God, by abiding in God. Again, he continues, verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. He continues the same basic line of argumentation, his, his, his uh, point that he's seeking to make, he's love is from God, love is from God, we need to abide. The spirit of God working in us enables us to love. We cannot love in our own strength, not rightly. We need the Spirit of God to be at work. So by loving then, by by loving in the way that God has called us to love, we prove or we show that we have God abiding in us. Paul wrote that it's by the Spirit that God's love is poured into our hearts, Romans 5. Therefore, if we love, it's testimony of His Spirit in us see, remember, he's also dealing with people who have left, who have gone out from the church, people who claim to know God but yet don't love their brother. They claim to have the Spirit and to know God, but if they do not love in the way in which God defines love, then they show that they actually don't know God. In some ways, he's trying to tell them, don't use them as an example. (laughs) That's not who to follow after. Because they're proving, by their lack of action in many ways, that they don't know God. See, this is an objective basis that John gives to know whether someone knows God or not. Do they love? Do they love? And then he continues, verse 14, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. John, again, he's rehearsing what he's already stated. He wants to get this point across, and he reminds us that love is not actually the only objective test. It goes hand in hand with belief that Jesus is. Is the Son of God. We might see people in the world that that do give of their lives, but they don't believe Jesus. These things have to go hand in hand. And you know, we can be happy that somebody is is sacrificing and giving their lives. It's God's common grace. Let's share the gospel with them so they can know Jesus. But that's a test here. And, And the way that John phrases this is important. He says, Jesus, okay? That points us to the whole history of his, of his life from birth to ascension. And the term Son of God, commentator said it has roots in the Old Testament prophecies, things like 2 Samuel 7.14 or Psalm 2.7 that were fulfilled when Jesus came. The confession, Jesus is the Son of God, gives voice to both his humanity and divinity, and it excludes everyone who denies that Jesus is the Son of God as one who has no fellowship with God. So, we don't just let that, again, we don't just let that phrase roll off, but Jesus is the Son of God has a lot of meaning behind it. It carries weight. That's who believers have come to know and believe and to trust and to rely upon. You know, the text here um, in verse 16 says, we have come to know and to believe. And I think that believe has, has a connotation of relying upon and really trusting it. It's, it's not just believing in who he is. It's not, he's not fire insurance, okay? It's believing and relying upon him in all of life. In all of life. Everything else could be falling apart or seeming to be falling apart in our lives, yet we stand firm and believe in God's love and that He abides in us. Folks, God's love for us, revealed in Christ, is soul-strengthening. It's strengthening in the day-to-day. The covenant faithfulness, the steadfast love of God, it endures forever. No matter what we go through, His steadfast love is there. This matters in our lives. It matters in the day-to-day to know who God is and what He has done and His love. It enables us to continue to love even in the midst of our own difficulties. Think of the persecuted church. They experience great difficulties. Sometimes it seems like they might ask, where is God in all of this? And yet, they abide in His love and they continue to love and the church continues to grow. It's been a quite a while since I've read The Hiding Place, but Corrie ten Boom, there's a picture of someone whose life was going sideways, okay? The Nazis and everything else and the Holocaust, and yet she abided in God's love, and she showed so much love to so many people. She did it not only in in, in hiding folks, but in a a prison camp, and had joy. Because of God's love, she had confidence in God. She had confidence because she rested in his love and she continued to show that love and that, that built the confidence and in, in her relationship and in his fellowship. And that's actually where John moves next in this letter. He said, first, God is love and then love, or love is from God. Um, love comes from abiding in God and love builds or is confidence for us. Look at verse 17, by this is love perfected with us, so that, that's a purpose statement, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he does not love his brother, or for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now back to verse 17, he says by this. He says that by this, what's he referring to with by this? It's by abiding in God. By abiding in God. Look back at, at, verse, uh, at chapter 2, verse 28. John says this, he says, And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. Abide in Him so that you may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. It's when we abide in God When we remain in Him, we we saturate our lives with the life of God in our souls. His his, his love, it's then that we have confidence. His love has been perfected in us. It's it's brought to its end in many ways and, and shown in our love for others. It's perfected in us, and that gives us confidence. And John so desires that. For uh, the believers, He he desires that they would know that they have a relationship with God, that they are secure, because he knows that there are ups and downs in our lives. There are circumstances, there are things that change in our lives where our confidence can vary. And what he's saying is go to the love of God. And even look to how you have continued in the midst of your pain and your difficulty to love, and let that give you confidence. Let that build it up. Let, let, kind of, it's, it's a circular, it's a spiral that, that kind of helps to build you up in your confidence. Because we're not all going to be at that place. This is something that we, we grow into. Okay? We grow into this. It's, here's a key way we know and we have confidence. We imitate Him. We love in a manner in which He loves. And the beauty here, he says, is there is no fear in love. There's no fear in love. Now, I think that has a fairly wide-ranging application, but where he's talking about is a specific area, I think. You see, in our natural state, pre-knowing Christ, we certainly would and should fear the judgment of God knowing that we're sinners, even if we we rationalize and deny that, there's fear that there is a judgment. But there is no fear of punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no fear for those who are persuaded of and believe in God's love for them and in turn love. They show it, they prove that they know it. John does not want us to be disturbed and disheartened and fearful He wants us to know the peace and the calm that comes from knowing God's love that is beyond the reach of fear. Now, I think that's primary, but I do think it can apply in other aspects of fear as well. Just think of the benefits of not fearing, but maybe, you know, there's still a reverent fear of God. You always have a reverent fear of God and understand who He is, but not a fear of punishment. Um... If, if someone is afraid of water, it's likely that they have a fear of drowning, right? If someone's claustrophobic, they have a fear of being buried alive in a box. If someone's afraid of fire, they, they you know, they have fear of being burned. As a kid, I completely feared tornadoes, horribly afraid of them. Um, I I would be startled awake in in nightmares just before I died in my dream. Sweating. And it was almost debilitating any time there were storms. Which, living in northern Indiana, that happened a good bit in the spring and the fall. Folks, fearing God's judgment is debilitating. But when one grasps the love of God repents and believes that Jesus is the Son of God, they know the punishment has already been meted out on Jesus, and there is great freedom and joy in that belief and in that knowledge, in that truth. God's love has been poured out, and it is then perfected in the believer when when they know fully that there is nothing of condemnation left to fear. And and knowing that there's no condemnation left to fear, that does spread out in the rest of life. It gives us freedom. It gives us the the ability sometimes to be not okay (laughs) and to know that it's difficult. The majority of the Psalms are laments. But they turn to God's love. They turn to God's faithfulness. They turn to His steadfastness and His mercy and His grace. But knowing at at the, the foundational level that God's love for me in Christ has removed punishment, that there is no more wrath of God left for me, that frees us in so many ways. See, God's steadfast and eternal love is just that. It is. And knowing that love, that's why we love. Abiding in that love is why we love. We're called to love. We are commanded to love. We can't say we love God. God whom we haven't seen if we don't love. If we don't love our brother whom we do see. As John writes, anyone who loves God must love his brother. Folks, in many ways, what John writes here isn't complicated. But it, it does move itself into every aspect of our lives. It really matters. When we understand what the love is that John is writing about, and that God has defined what love is and shown it for us in Jesus, that really can change everything because we're freed of that overarching fear. So my encouragement, my exhortation this morning is this, be in awe of God and His love. It's perfectly fine if that's your application. I'm going to be more and more in awe of who God is knowing more and more His character and His grace, and in particular, His great and steadfast love for us, that can carry you through so much. So be in awe. Bask in that love. Let us worship and see that start to transform us more and more into the image of Christ. Let us abide in that love and pray that the Spirit works it more and more deeply in our hearts. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus on the love of God for us. Folks, this is not some esoteric enterprise, but it is what will work to transform us. Let us abide in the beauty of God's love for us in Christ. It's a love that has given us life. It's dealt with our greatest need. And let us, as we abide in that love, in turn, love one another and grow, because John wants us to, grow in our confidence that we have come to know that love and we've come to know Christ, and there is no more fear in his love. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for for the love we have in Christ, for a love that changes us and transforms us. May we rest in, in the truth in the the greatness of Jesus' love, that Jesus paid it all, and all to him we owe. You've washed us, you've cleansed us in Christ. Lord, may that never sit old with us, but every day let us wake up and just be amazed that we've been saved through the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.